Live from the bridge at the Launchpad Studios in Huntington, New York, it's Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Cardboard Memories, Clearview, Long Island, the law firm of Decalator, Cohen, and DePrisco, the Phoenix Tube Company, Pims Incorporated, fueling brand performance for 30 years, Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, and Soho Table Hockey. Here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is the man who was the 95th overall pick of the New York Rangers in the 2000 NHL Draft. He played close to 900 games in the NHL for the New York Rangers, Pittsburgh Penguins, Minnesota Wild, Toronto Maple Leafs, Buffalo Sabres, Florida Panthers, Montreal Canadiens, Tampa Bay Lightning, San Jose Sharks, and Boston Bruins. He won the Bill Matheson Memorial Trophy in 2013-14. The trophy is awarded annually to the National League hockey player who best exemplifies the qualities of perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to ice hockey. That season, his goal in Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Final was the only goal scored and set the Rangers to the Stanley Cup Finals. He's currently an analyst for ESPN. He's also the founder and host of Smash Fest, a charity ping pong tournament benefiting the Katie Moore Foundation, the Steve Moore Foundation, which is one of my favorite events each year. It is always a thrill to welcome him back to Sports Talk New York, the one and only Dominic Moore. Welcome, Dominic. Always a pleasure joining you, Mark. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. And you know what? You are the actual perfect guest for tonight because arguably you could be called the Kevin Bacon of hockey as I think you probably have connections to every team still in the hunt for the Stanley Cup. Before we get to the teams left, let's start with the Islanders firing of Barry Trotz um, because as Lou Lamarillo put it, he felt the team needed a new voice. That new voice was announced yesterday and it's Barry's longtime assistant. Um, are you surprised by this hire? And what do you think Lou Sore and Lane Lambert that made him dismiss such a successful coach well that's a there's a lot to that question i i personally never played for lane or barry um one of the few coaches i had never played for um but i've played for so many played with so many players who played for barry trotz and you know you know players they don't generally give grave reviews about their coaches you know there's a love-hate relationships a lot of times but Players that have played for Barry Trotz love him, uh, but he's at the same time, it's not a country club. He's gotten results everywhere he's gone. So I think everyone was taken by surprise uh, by that firing. Um, you know, Lou's been around for longer than anyone, so he's probably got a good pulse on on these kinds of situations in terms of any situation he's seen it before. Um, but you know, when you fire someone of Barry Trotz's caliber, the question is who can you get that's going to be better? Um, and to go with Lambert, I think was an interesting choice because he's obviously been able to absorb uh, all of the good qualities that, that Barry Trotz has had. And, and you're giving someone a shot though, who has not been a head coach before. Um, so I, you know, I actually like the hire. I think it's probably more attractive to me than kind of just grabbing someone who's been in that in that position before and gotten kind of similar results in the past give give someone else a shot um you know someone that's earned his stripes and we'll see what happens yeah, it's interesting. The only problem I had with the hire is when you say, you know, the team needed a new voice and you look at that team and it's filled with lots of veterans. And, you know, I, I don't know if Anders Lee and Brock Nelson, you know, you being a veteran, when uh, when they say new voice and, and, and to his credit, Lou backed it, you know, backed off a little bit on that. But, you know, what does that mean? A, a new voice? Do, do coaches sometimes I, actually leave yeah. the room? So I, I, 
I think that that's what Lou said, but what the reality is we all know Lou, he's not telling us what he really thinks. <laughs> um, so, you know, us, us broadcasters and media types have to uh, kind of dig into what little information he has given. Um, my take on it is simply that, you know, perhaps there was a little bit of a different view on where the team was going from here. Um, you know, it was definitely a challenging year for the Islanders. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of autopsy reports on what happened to their season and, you know, what, what the next steps are required, uh, to, to bring them back to consention. Listen, this was the second best team in hockey for the last two years. Yeah. They, they lost an incredibly tight series to the Tampa Bay lightning. So there's still a team that you feel like can be back up there with the best. Um, so the question is, what do they need? But having said that, the game has changed a lot this year, highest scoring NHL season since 95. So there's definitely some, some trends at play. We've seen a lot more offense at play. You wonder whether, you know, there were considerations along those lines of style of play that the team needed to play going forward and whether there just might've been a bit of a a debate on what the best route was forward. So time will tell for the Islanders and their off-season plans. It's so funny you said how the game has changed. You know, Pete DeBoer, another head scratcher for me. Yes, the team faded big time down the stretch, but the guy had a record 98-50-12 in his three seasons in Vegas. Uh, this season, they struggled through injuries, salary cap-related lineup challenges to finish you know, 43-31-8, missing the playoffs by only four points. There used to be so much stability in a head coaching position in the NHL. We now see franchises shifting gears away from winning coaches. You saw, you know, Coach Quinn here in New York had a winning record with one of the youngest teams. DeBoer had a winning record. Why do you think that the changes are coming much quicker these days than they used to? Well, that's a great question. I, I don't know if I have an answer to that. I mean, I think... Uh, you know, as I said, uh, when Barry Trotz got fired, that will be someone else's game. He he is as good as it gets uh, in terms of head coach in the NHL. Uh, so some team will be very lucky to have him. I think Pete DeBoer, you mentioned his record. I think he'll he'll get picked up pretty quickly as well. I don't know if there's a shorter leash than there ever was before. I, I would never I would never put the term stability around a professional hockey coach ever. Uh, those two words don't don't go hand in hand. Maybe a college hockey coach; those guys seem to stay in their roles for decades. Um, so, if you want to use the term stability, that's where I would put it. But uh, you know, there's so much pressure on performance at the professional level, and the results aren't there. It's a pretty quick turnaround, and uh, if it's not the coach, then it's the GM themselves that has to answer the questions. So, I don't know, you know, what the trends are these days, but uh, we, we are certainly seeing some new faces come in too, which, um, you know, I think there has been a trend in that regard with more new faces being given a shot than there used to be. You look at Marty St. Louis as a good example. Uh, Montreal really kind of took a risk in bringing him on. Yes, he's a hall of famer, but he was coaching his, his kids youth hockey team and stepped right into coaching the most historic franchise in the NHL. So I think that's a good trend. 
Yeah, I totally agree. All right, let's get to the playoffs. They've been amazing thus far. We say it every year that the playoffs are always amazing, but, you know, five game sevens, two going into overtime. You can't ask for much more than that. Let's start by talking about two teams you played for, the Rangers and the Maple Leafs. Uh, You look at the moves Chris Jury made right before the deadline, and they weren't the big sexy names, but they're really the type of guys who help you win playoff rounds. What did you see out of this team in the first round that allowed them to battle back, not only in in games several times, but to come back from that 3-1 deficit in games? Uh, I just saw the growth. Uh, To me, that's what I saw the series. You know, you think about the Rangers' key players, you know, Shesterkin, Fox, um, you know, Kreider, Zabanajad. Like, I, not so much Kreider because he's been there, but I, I felt like you watched these, these integral pieces that maybe haven't had as much playoff experience learn in front of our very eyes throughout the course of the series and, and adjust their game and, and their performance went up as the series went on. Um, obviously, Pittsburgh was behind the eight ball to begin with. I felt like the Rangers were the better team before the series. Um, picked them to win the series sooner, but uh, maybe I, I hadn't kind of anticipated the idea that there might be some growing pains uh, for the Rangers. And luckily for them, they figured it out just in time because I felt like they they made this closer than it needed to be, uh, but in the end uh, got the job done. Not that we need any more reasons to uh, have a C-Zone on Chris Kreider's jersey, but there's so many moments in this series where you see him as a true leader of this team. One of the examples is, you know, sitting on the bench and Mika's looking at a shot he missed on a tablet and, and Chris basically takes the tablet and just throws it away and kind of tells him to focus on the now. How important do you think was Chris being part of that cup run as a 22-year-old, seeing the leadership in that room, and then you know going down further down the road, you know having Alexi Lafreniere go through this, you know, and, and all these young players, Keandre Miller. How much yeah. you know can they grow just from this experience? First of all, I loved that clip you're talking about with Cride uh, smashing the iPad. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, awesome. It, it, it was awesome. And the reason is there's a lot of depth to it. So to me, Kreider is a guy that's finally putting it all together. He, we all know he's been a physical specimen his entire life, his entire career. I, I sat next to him in the locker room and he's a very smart guy. He's a very cerebral person to go along with the physical uh, attributes that he has. And he's a student of the game and has always dedicated himself so well. But I think at times he's overthought things and and thought too much about things. And so to me, he's learned that himself and he's actually passing that knowledge along to Zabanajad in that moment saying, listen, I've been there, but we're not doing this. Uh, And and they're both better players for it. So I thought it was a wonderful and deep, uh, moment there uh, and great, great leadership from Crides. So by winning that you know, round, they get to take on a Canes team, which unbelievably has more teammates of yours from that 2013-14 team than the Rangers do, you know, quickie and, and step on that team. What's the biggest obstacle you see for the Rangers in this series? That's a good point. Um, you know, I think they match up pretty well against the Canes. Uh, to be honest, I think um, especially when you've escaped a three-one hole like that, uh, and I've been fortunate enough to do that on four separate teams, four separate occasions. Uh, when you escape that kind of a hole and and pull off the the miracle, 
you feel invincible after that. So if I'm the Canes, they, you know, they went to game seven too, uh, but they didn't have to come back from the dead the way the Rangers have. So I, I think the Rangers are going to be flying high um, and really match up well. I think for the Canes, you know, they, they've got balanced scoring. Um, they've got some really good puck moving D. I think it'll be really fun to watch this whole D'Angelo thing, uh, you know, progress throughout the series. Auntie Ranta, uh, Rangers fans know him and know how good he is. Uh, very underrated goaltender. Uh, it's definitely not going to be easy. I do think, I do see this series going the distance. Uh, but I think I have a sense the Rangers will come out on top. I know you had lunch with Henrik last week, and it's amazing that this franchise gets to go from Henrik Lundqvist directly to Igor Shosturkin. Have you talked about to Hank about how good Igor can be? And just like all those years that Hank played, um, to borrow a boxing term, when you have a goalie like that, you always have a boxer, a puncher's chance to win any of these rounds. Well, I think I think no one could anticipate how quickly those shoes would have been filled. Those pointy fashionable shoes that Henrik wore for so long. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what uh, Igor's style sense is like, but I don't think anyone thought he would step in to those, that kind of expectations and and thrive. I think I've said it before and I'll say it again. uh, Benoit Lair is the most valuable piece of this franchise right now. Um, and again, we talk about Kreider and his mindset and how that's helped him reach new heights. I think Benoit Lair has been helping goalies do that for decades. And Hank was a huge benefactor. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's the, it's the player and their mentality and what they put in. Uh, and with Hank and Igor, I think it's their competitive level uh, that drives them to success. Um, but, you know, Igor had his moments in this series where he wasn't the super, superhero that he we've become so accustomed to and when you have such high expectations a plus especially in a place like new york that's the mental side that you have to learn how to handle and you know he seems to have done that he was absolutely unbelievable in the first half of game seven uh with some of those saves so um it's it's amazing to watch and i think hank is enjoying every minute of it from the msg studios as well so another iconic franchise you played for were the Toronto Maple Leafs. And granted, they lost to a team that may be on their way to their third straight cup. Let's take the 55-year drought out of it. They had a great regular season. They played really well in the best-of-seven series against a really good Tampa Lightning team. They just didn't get the results in a, a close one-goal game seven. Uh, I, I think I saw something today that they're the first team in you know all sports history to lose six straight winner-take-all games in a playoff. Um, but on the other hand, since the start of 2016-17, there have been only six other franchises without Seattle that haven't won at least one playoff series, Arizona, Buffalo, Chicago, Detroit, Jersey, and L.A. Do you think they blow this up or say we lost to a really good team that may win a cup and give this group one more opportunity to kick at the can? Oh, man. Uh, I think that... Listen, I think the narrative right now is that they were close. I think the narrative last year was that they were close. Um, I think the narrative's been that they've been close for a long time. Uh, I think there's flaws in the team, uh, inherent flaws that, uh, you know, they just haven't addressed. Um, And 
what I do like this year is that their best players were the best players. Last year, I think the narrative coming out of the way they lost to Montreal was that, you know, the Marners and the Matthews of the world, you know, choked and didn't perform. Uh, no one can say that this year. Those guys were clutch. They, they, they played solid all series long, including in game seven. Um, you know, and I like that. That shows the growth and maturity and leadership of those guys. And I thought that blame was unfairly placed on their shoulders. It's the, the, listen, it's the easiest thing in the world uh, just to blame the players after a season, blame the stars. So uh, I never was buying into that. I think there's more kind of uh, architectural issues with this team in terms of how they're built, uh, you know, including things off the ice in terms of the kind of leadership that uh, you need um, the defensive style you need to play. Goaltending is a big factor. Uh, so just figuring out those things is what, they, what they're going to need to do. How they're going to go about doing that is anyone's guess. It's also interesting because in watching that series, I think in between periods, I flipped over to Disney Plus and was watching Marvel's What If. And it got me to thinking watching Tampa Bay. And, you know, I haven't had the opportunity to ask anyone this question. I figured you'd be the perfect guy. You know, let's go back to that draft and let's say the New York Islanders. What if they took Victor Hedman first and Tampa took John Tavares second? Do you think that the fate of those two franchises would be any different than they've been? <laughs> oh, man, I don't know that the what ifs are. That's why they're what ifs. I, I don't spend too much time on those, but <laughs> um I think you see how valuable uh, a guy like Victor Hedman is just a pillar in the truest sense of the word, in all aspects of the game, plays every part of the game well. Uh, we'll, we'll score the big goal when you need it. We'll, we'll close out the game when you have five on six when you need it. Um, he's, been, uh, he's been as unbelievable as it gets as a leader for that team. You know, and that's where you, you bring in a guy like Ryan McDonough. Rangers fans are so familiar with as our captain and he goes to Tampa and he plays behind Victor Hedman and, and no one ever talks about Ryan McDonough anymore as the, as the horse uh, that leads the back end because he's, he's second fiddle to Victor Hedman, but McDonough's maybe in the perfect spot. He, he doesn't have the pressure to perform offensively and he's just become one of the very best defenders uh, in the league who still has offensive upside. So, um, you know, what ifs, I guess they're fun, but, uh, the only ones who can play that game right now are the two time defending champion lightning, which ha have a, a date in the sunshine state battle. Again, you played for both of these teams. Um, somehow you never played with Andrew Burnett. I can't even believe that, but he really got thrown into a tough spot and he didn't miss a beat with this team. What are you looking for in this series? Uh, you're right. I never played with Brunette and, you know, speaking to him this year, covered, uh, some of the Florida Panthers games as part of my broadcast work with ESPN, very impressed with him. Um, he just seems to have a really good pulse on his team, very intelligent guy and has really done an outstanding job. Um, I don't know if people realize, you know, because of how good the team was before he kind of took over. Um, they kind of think they were just the juggernaut that kept going, but I think he's been a huge part of it. Um, yeah, I don't know what to expect on this series. Like I, I think Florida, you know, their track record, this regular season speaks for the, for itself. Uh, they won some really tight games, which is a great sign against, against an, a Washington team that really knows how to plug up the neutral zone and, 
uh, might have been their kryptonite. Um, Tampa is going to have their hands full, but Tampa just knows how to win. You know, they really uh, shot themselves in the foot a number of times in that series against Toronto. I really don't think it needed to be that close. Tampa kind of beat themselves uh, a few times. Uh, if they get that out of their game, they'll need to against Florida because Florida will take advantage where Toronto didn't. You know, rounding out that other side are other two great matchups as well. I think the Blues Abs match um, may be one of the most underrated. You know, listen, I'm I'm not a big gambling guy. I, I don't really like the lines. I hate seeing the commercials every intermission. You know, but uh, you know the odds for this. You know, the the way they they're ranking the Blues against the Abs is like they don't have a chance. I kind of see St. Louis as one of the biggest obstacles for the Abs. What do you think? Um, you know, the Blues will will. Get, what what do the St. Louis do well that might give the Avs trouble? Well, I picked the Blues to win the Cup. So you know, if you're looking for um, you know a dark horse to throw a few bucks on, um, don't blame me if it loses. But they were my pick uh, to win the Cup. Um, they are a team that doesn't get a lot of notoriety. Uh, think of the Blues this way: they don't have a first line like you look around the league and see, you know, the Marchand Bergeron line, or you see McDavid and company in Edmonton. They don't have that line, but they have three second lines that are as good or better than any in the league. And, uh, the, you know, they, the tells by their stats, you look at their stats, they've got like seven or eight guys with over 20 goals. Um, they've got defense that are big, like Pareko and skilled, like Tori Krug. Uh, and you know, Vili Husa was supposed to be their starting goalie and Bennington is, seems to have rediscovered his form here. So they're dangerous, uh, and not to be overlooked whatsoever. I like your pick, but I'm, I'm still have my Messier ticket from the Derby hanging on my refrigerator. So I'm not going to place any bets because whatever I bet usually loses. Uh, <laughs> lastly, while not quite the Joel Otto, Mark Messier battle of Alberta, um, this one is an intriguing matchup as well. What is the biggest storyline for you in this matchup? Well, on the Calgary side, they, they had a lot more difficult time with Dallas than they thought they would. They, you know, Jake Ottinger was unbelievable for Dallas in net. Um, really outstanding performance in his first real taste of playoff hockey. Um, but Calgary did manage to find a way. Um, to me, Edmonton's problem is that they don't really know what their identity is. They know they want to play good defensive hockey, but then they've got this offensive uh, reputation they have to uphold. And sometimes they kind of lose their way. Uh, they did find a way to get it done for anyone who hasn't watched those games. though, you know, it's very easy in basketball. I would, you know, I would say it's a lot easier to, for one player to take over a game and just single-handedly put the team on his back. I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's easier. Uh, hockey is the ultimate team sport. Um, it's really difficult for any one player to, to do that. And, if you haven't watched the Oilers, Connor McDavid has been single-handedly willing his team to victory. Uh, game five, they lost the game, uh, but he was, you know, all four Oiler goals he single-handedly made happen. It, it really is something to watch. Uh, 26 goals the Oilers scored in the series. He was on the ice for 20 of them. It's unbelievable. So uh, I would tune in. 
Yeah, that's the problem because, like, when you have one of the best players in the league on a team, and he really, you're right, he carries a team. But when they fail um, because of somewhat lack of support, everyone says, "Oh, they're they're overrated." But I, I totally agree with you. It's a pleasure to watch him play, um, Dominic. As always, thanks so much for coming on, spending time with us, and we look forward to to watching your grain analysis on ESPN. Most importantly, um, is there a location for Smash Fest yet this year? Is it going to be here on the East Coast, or am I going to have to go into Toronto again? Uh, well, stay tuned. There is a Smash Fest announcement coming. Um, it is our 10th annual, so uh, it's coming up just over two months away. So expect the announcement soon. But we hope to see you there. You've been an amazing supporter for many years, Mark. So uh, look forward to seeing you there again. And you know what? The other thing, uh, you know, it's strange for me because, uh, you know, again, you know, my real folk, that that 2013-14 team was a very special team. You know, I, I bleed range of blue. But when guys like Brian Boyle get eliminated in a round, it, it's tough. I imagine with all the teams and all the players that that you played with, it's got to be like gut wrenching. Um, is there a particular team you're you know, not analysis wise, but rooting for to win the cup? <laughs> I don't have a rooting interest as much anymore. Obviously, um, you know, you have uh, more of a connection with certain teams that you've played for. And I, I played longer in, in New York for the Rangers than with any other team. So uh, if you're asking what jersey uh, is on my wall or what jersey my daughter might wear, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's the Ranger blue. So uh, that's the short answer. But uh, I love seeing great hockey and great hockey players. And in my role now, uh, it's a lot of fun just to be involved in the game. Dominic Knorr, former New York Ranger, among many others. Thanks, Dominic. All right, Mark. All the best.